Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. Just in the nick of time and barely hanging on, the Winged Wheel Podcast is here, fully staffed, a full roster, ready for the Detroit Red Wings season preview. Evan, can you give the folks a proof of life, please? I am physically here, maybe. Mentally, definitely not. Looking at his movements so far, I don't think our weekend at Bernie's theory is completely <laughs> out the window yet. No, yeah, that absolutely. It's still a coin toss. We haven't reached above his head to see if there's any strings attached to the ceiling here. This is unfortunately the best I have felt in a week and a half. And if you can hear my voice, that's not a good sign. We, Evan and I did a, an interview with Redacted just before we recorded this, and that interview will be coming within the next week or two uh, to you, the listeners. And Evan was there after our guest, and we pretty much started right away. And then Evan asked a question, and in my head I went, oh my God, he sounds terrible. This yep. is bad. Yeah, not and, great. Anyhow, folks, Evan is trucking through. You're a mar- We're all married now. Congratulations, buddy, on Thank your you. Italian getaway. I haven't seen you since your wedding. Oh my God, yeah. It's been a month, a literal month. Yeah, we'll have to catch up after. Debrief, but, yep. But for now, the Detroit Red Wings, the 2023-2024 regular season. Let's get to it. Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. It's been too long. That, that was missing for a while. Uh, this is going to be a, a struggle, but I will grind through it. You're a champ. On this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, it's exactly as we described. A full Detroit Red Wings 2023-2024 season preview. It's everything from talking about the final roster, the 23rd man or lack thereof that Jericho Lalone is choosing not to bring to the the Red Wings to start the season. We'll be talking about who got cut, who made it, a line-by-line analysis, talking about every forward, every defenseman in those pairings. We'll be talking about goaltending, projections, you know, expectations for the season. We'll be giving you our warm takes, our hot takes. We'll be talking about playoffs. I know that word is you know, becoming less and less crazy to use each year, but still we'll be talking about what the chances actually are. And uh, plenty more before we jump into your questions for overtime. Before all that, I want to let you know, Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA is happening in Detroit on Saturday, November 4th. We are down to our final batch of tickets available for that event. Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA is a partnered event between us, the Winged Wheel Podcast, and the Detroit Red Wings, where we host a live episode of the show at Little Caesars Arena before the game, before Detroit takes on Boston that night. Uh, It'll be featuring special guest Ken Daniels, and other special guests will be there as well. Your ticket not only gets you access to that live event and the Red Wings game, it also gives you a special edition, custom, co-branded Detroit Red Wings and Winged Wheel Podcast beanie. It's officially licensed. The only way you can get it is by getting a ticket to this event. You'll sit in special Winged Wheel podcast seating sections. The gondola is sold out. There's also upper and lower bowl tickets available for you as well. Those tickets are not only discounted, but they also include a donation to the Jamie Daniels Foundation as a portion of the proceeds from the event will benefit them. So a discounted Red Wings game ticket, access to the live event, the beanie where you'll have other merch giveaways, prizes, and more. You can meet Evan and Ken Daniels. You can get them to sign stuff for you. You can talk to me and Brad if you'd like. You can listen to the live show, ask us questions, meet and greet. Food and drink will be available as well. It's a great, great night. It supports a fantastic cause in the Jamie Daniels Foundation. So get your tickets before they run out. 
wingedwheelpodcast.com slash redwings or go to the link in the description of the episode. The Detroit Red Wings. Last episode, Brad and I recorded the entire thing. And as we were into overtime, the overtime bonus episode, the Red Wings released their final 23-man roster cut. More or less. Zach Aston Reese got sent down the next day. So what happened was they sent down Jonathan Berggren, Cross Hannes, Elmer Soderblom, Simon Edvinson to the Griffins. Nate Danielson went to the Brandon Wheat Kings. And Matt Luff and Carter Mazur were marked as injured non-roster. They'll be sent down once they're healthy. You just have to wait until they're healthy to do so. Zach Aston Reese was placed on waivers, cleared waivers, and was assigned to the Grand Rapids Griffins, which left Detroit with 22 players. DeBrinket, Larkin, Perron, Fabry, Comfer, Raymond, Rasmussen, Kopp, Sprong, Costin, Valeno, Fisher, Wallman, Sider, Sherat, Petrie, Mata, Gosses, Bear, Hall. So we all thought, is Beargren coming back up now that Zach Aston Reese got assigned to Grand Rapids? Will Zach Aston Reese come back up? closer to game day and this is just an accumulation of cap thing whatever it might be and Derek Malone said he doesn't expect to call up a 23rd man so let's talk about that specifically carrying three goalies obviously you know Huso, Lyon, Reimer are on the roster so Detroit's carrying three carrying three goalies having 22 players overall what do you make of that decision it's weird we've seen teams carry three goalies before and we've seen teams carry less than 23 I don't know if I've ever seen it both at the same time because they're only going to have one extra now. Now, the way the schedule plays out, you you don't always necessarily need someone right there to go in right away. If they were to go on a road trip, uh, hypothetically, right after the season started, Mm -hmm. you would definitely see a 23rd man up because they'd have to bring them around just in case of injuries while they're on the road, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, for the most part, I get it. Soderblom and Berggren, you want them playing. Having them as a healthy scratch if they're not going to be in the top 12 serves them in no way, in no beneficial way. So having them go to Grand Rapids to play makes sense. I thought one of the reasons they picked up Zach Aston Reese was for this exact reason. Hey, this is a guy that, you know, not to sound callous, we don't care if he plays or not. So he can travel around the team as like the 13th forward. And then he can plug in if need be, et cetera, et cetera. To just leave it empty and not have a spare forward feels weird to me. I know there's a bit of cap savings that come with that, but the Red Wings aren't in a position where that really matters right now. So I'm a touch confused. Like I get wanting the guys to play versus sit in the box, but you'd think you'd have at least one forward sticking around. For me, it boils down to a couple things. One, it doesn't necessarily matter, as you mentioned. And two, you kind of want to see who stands out in Grand Rapids. You're not really going to know that unless you give them an opportunity to play. I'm of the same mind as you were with Zach Aston Reese. Like You can take it or leave it in terms of whether you think he should be playing a ton or just be sitting as an extra body for the Red Wings. I do see the value in having a guy like him in Grand Rapids. That's a team an AHL team that is loaded with a young talent, which might sound good, but for an American Hockey League team, that's not necessarily an automatic recipe for success. Brad mentioned last episode, it's not really a common thing for, you know, young budding stars who have to find their way to be immediately impactful in the AHL. So having a veteran there can be really, really beneficial. And with Berggren, I said in our splice in last episode, would I have preferred he made the roster? Yes, although that's with the caveat that he had to have come out in camp 
in preseason and earned it, which he didn't do. So the decision, though an unfortunate result, as someone who's a fan of Berggren and the offense that I know he can bring, it makes sense. And if the decision is have him playing as a 13th forward or you know six to seven minutes a night with not really ideal line mates who can maximize his potential or play him with the rest of Detroit's future in Grand Rapids until he finds his stride, until a roster spot opens up, get him those minutes and reps as he continues to improve, I'd prefer the latter. Is it an ideal situation? No, but you know what? These are the decisions that have to be made out of preseason and camp, and just because a team looks the best on paper for fans or for us sitting here saying, what's the best configuration? It's not always how it shakes out. So I don't necessarily, I'm not even necessarily confused by it. Like you mentioned, Brad, I think it can change on a dime and it probably will change. It definitely will change eventually. It's just uh, as a way to start the season, it was kind of a unique start. Yeah, I thought sort of the same thing too. I was kind of bewildered at first, but when I sort of, you know, dove into it a little bit more, it makes somewhat some sense, right? Like Berggren, you know, he needs to be in the middle six. Clearly the team thinks he's not there given the, the additions this season, you know, there's going to be tons of injuries with this team. If hot take, I don't think Robbie Fabry is going to stay healthy the whole year. There will be opportunities for him to get come into this lineup. So for now, if he's playing top minutes in Grand Rapids, I honestly think that's the best thing for him. And with everyone else who was sent down, Soderblom, you know, with Berggren and Soderblom and even Hannes, who wasn't real, who hasn't played, doesn't have like the NHL pedigree, if you want to call it that, or the footing in the NHL that the other two have had. They had moments where they looked good, and there was moments where they didn't really do what they needed to do to stand up against, you know, the Valenos, the the Costins, and Costin brings the kind of physicality that I don't think any of those guys who got sent down could replace. You'll have to see how it shakes out. I saw a big, not unjustified, kind of clamor for, hey, Nate Danielson was one of Detroit's best players all preseason, and he was. I think Nate Danielson had a better preseason than a lot of the roster players, but. With the other decisions Detroit has made, that one was really, really unsurprising that they sent him back. There's not really a rush to bring Nate Danielson in. I wouldn't have been upset to see it, and I wouldn't be surprised if you see him later on this year for up to nine games, but yeah, I'm Detroit's not exactly forcing rookies onto the roster this year. That's the issue, isn't it? They're almost a decade into a rebuild. Not only is there not a rookie on the opening night lineup, there's not even a sophomore. That was going to be my next comment is, you know, at some point you have to play rookies and it can't be all at the same time. I mean, it can. It very much could be. But if the Red Wings want to advance in the standings, it can't all be at the same time. Thousand IQ play to avoid the sophomore slump, though. Tell you that. That is true. (laughs) Can't have one if you don't have one. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's probably better for the short-term success of the year uh, of the team this year. You know, again, if you argued Berggren or Soderblom, player versus player versus every player on the Red Wings lineup, they're going to lose a lot of those arguments, and the ones that they might win are 50-50s anyway. If it's close, though, the Red Wings are at the stage they have to, they should default to the young guy. Christian Fisher has no impact on this team when it's going to matter, right? Berggren, even though at best he's a middle six forward, might. It's a long shot he'll be an impact player when it matters, but there's a shot. 
Same with Soderblom. No, there's guys on the roster, you know, you just know, and it's it sounds so harsh to say, they don't have a chance to win a Stanley Cup with the Red Wings because they just won't be involved at that point, whether that's through age, their skill set, whatever you want to look at. And, you know, now, if this team stays relatively healthy and you don't see a good chunk of games for Edvinson or Berggren or Soderblom this year, but then they come up next year, well, that's three essentially rookies coming up. Does that leave room for Casper, Danielson, Johansson, Willinder? These guys who all have legit potential in the NHL and the Red Wings have themselves said aren't all going to come up at the same time. Some of them are going to run out of time. Now, in a perfect world, a lot of these guys are going to get traded for a Elias Pettersson, maybe. We will be raising that in future episodes. Yeah. So, you know, I am not I am not a strong enough man to avoid that conversation. No, and Vancouver is, you know, kind of forcing our hands on this one because wow, that organization is bad at their jobs. But in a perfect world, yeah, there a lot of these prospects will be going out in the trade for that. But if they never played in the NHL, their value maybe decreased. It's like, yeah, okay, this guy's good, but he's been in the NHL for three years. Why do we want him? You know what I mean? Yeah. And so it, it's my big gripe isn't with this opening night roster. Again, player versus player, you can absolutely justify where they landed here. My gripe is, and really my only gripe, is the long-term play here of what is the plan to get this absolute stable of prospects that they have into the NHL. The Iser plan discussion is going to be healthy and prominent throughout the season, so I won't we won't hang on to it too long here. But what I do want to say to add on to that is we've said time and time again, Iserman had a, a divergent path where he could decide to continue to extend the rebuild bottom out some more, you know, make some tough decisions to make the team really, really bad to try to get a Connor Bedard or get more really, really high-end picks or understand that having Sider and Raymond and Larkin where they were moved you up far enough and you want to pull this team out of the funk and there's a financial aspect to it and, and you want to have the team be competitive again and, and show the city that you can win games, et cetera, et cetera. We know Eisenman chose the latter and part of that was you know, he did that because the Red Wings were getting no luck. They never got the lottery luck. They never got the elite talent right at the top of the draft. They they weren't blessed with that kind of Connor Bedard, Connor McDavid, Austin Matthews, whatever. And so essentially he had to go with what he had, make the most of it with drafting where they could, it, with it, which so far there's still some question marks from, you know, Edvinson, Casper, Danielson. You see how they actually end up. But so far there have been some really good ones up top. And then you have to make moves along the way. So what you said, Brad, like moves have to be made. I think that's always been true. And that's the way I'm thinking about this. It's kind of just a, yeah, moves have to be made. You have to GM your way out of this. And this is no different. So you have these young players and you're going to see who's actually worthy of making it. Well, you're going to have to make room for them. And it, that would have been the case even if there wasn't such a large stable of young prospects who had to make it. But there is. Detroit's going to have to make room for these guys. Detroit's going to have to eventually offload a bad contract or something. And Detroit's going to have to make a decision to inject a guy into a lineup and not a fringe guy. I'm not talking about someone who might be an impact middle six player like Berggren or Soderblom. And we really like those players, but I'm saying, you know, Dan, a Danielson types is going to force your hand. Casper could force your hand. Like 
you're going to have to make those moves. I think the theme of all this is, is Detroit's going to have to GM their way out of this because they weren't lucky enough to have the decisions made for them with lottery luck, with an elite kind of talent who came through that way. Cider's the closest they've had, and God knows how bad this team would be without Cider. So my impression, call it naive, is wait and see because I think there's no way to get around the fact that they're going to have to make moves. They're not just going to let these guys wither away in the AHL. Well, the season will play out as it as it may, and you have mechanisms to bring those players up, whether it be through injury mm-hmm. or the trade deadline. Maybe there's some guys who really surprise you. Did we think Hronik was going to get traded at the trade deadline last year? No. Yeah. Like there, there's so many things that can happen throughout the season. I do think that there are ways that we see these players this year, and that might be the last time they ever see Grand Rapids. So uh, it's. I think it's too early to uh, sort of uh, chalk this one up. I, I think uh, the season will play out as it does, and there will be a ton of injuries. There always are. Yeah, your point there, Evan. Like Things change on a dime, and so many conversations that we spend how many hours talking about in preseason are rendered moot in like six games and are just never a conversation again. So yep. we'll see how it goes. Let's start with the forwards. Larkin, Debrinkit, Perron is a line that we've been seeing. We're not going to talk about how those lines are going to do. I think lines are subject to be jumbled over the course of the start of the season. But in general, let's talk about, let's start with Detroit's captain, Dylan Larkin. Coming into the first year of his brand new contract, a career year for him last year. You know, one of Detroit's most important players and one of Detroit's obviously most important forwards. What are expectations, projections, anything for Dylan Larkin coming into this season? Uh, expectations drag this team kicking and screaming into the playoffs. Pretty much. He's the, he's the vibes leader of the Red Wings. <laughs> Expectation for Larkin is going to be the exact same that it's been for the last few years. He's the best forward on this team. Everybody knows it. He's the leader of this team. He's going to play all situations and he's not necessarily, uh, you know, a top 10, top 15 center in the league, but he's going to have to act like he is in order for the Red Wings to make any noise. The only difference this year versus the last couple of years, he's got that line mate now. He's got that debrinket that he hasn't had. Yeah, obviously rookie Lucas Raymond was really good. And even, you know, Raymond in a down year last year wasn't bad. Larkin's never played in this scenario with a player like Alex debrinket which should hopefully help unlock him because... Again, fairly or unfairly, this is this is Larkin being thrust into the spotlight, being thrust into the, you got to be the number one center on a playoff team now. Whatever that entails and whatever that season has to look like for you to make that happen, that's what it's got to be. Talking to people from the organization, there's a story we heard and with some version from multiple people, which is that, you know, the Red Wings, the players really didn't like throughout the season the narrative that this team was down and out and playoffs weren't an option for them and they weren't going to make it. And you have to think that fed into them essentially willing themselves back into the conversation. And Larkin is notorious for being you know, a leader on that front of just being pissed off by losing. Hate, hates losing. Absolutely loathes losing to the point where that's actually you know, a standout quality because what athlete likes to lose, right? I think... He has really embraced his role in that respect as captain to will this team to be, you know, greater than the sum of their parts. 
keep the energy high and latch on to success however it has to come to them. His his system and the way he plays hockey changed under Derek Lalonde last year, right? Like he said himself, you know, it's not exactly always the most fun way to play, but that's how you win hockey games. And so you kind of have to just roll with it. And it really can't kind of came together for them by the second third of the season and look how they finished out. Not at the very end, but when they were controlling their playoff destiny there, he and the rest of the team embraced it and they were in it. Larkin came off a season where he was very nearly a point per game. His job now is to continue that leadership role, continue to bring together a group of guys with a lot of turnover again. And frankly, he has to be that kind of point producer again. Alex Dabrinkit does not succeed without Dylan Larkin's success. Lucas Raymond, even if he's not always attached to his wing, doesn't succeed without Dylan Larkin's success. I think Dylan Larkin has every capacity to be a top 16 center in this NHL. I think he can be top of the top half of the NHL in terms of centermen. Will he always be? No, he'll probably float in that middle range, but it's not unfair to expect a point-per-game season from Larkin. And frankly, I think if this is a successful Red Wings team and, and we're talking about them at the end of the, the season in terms of uh, having accomplished something, 30 goals should be on the on the board for him again. Yeah, this is essentially the best Red Wings roster that Dylan Larkin has been a part of. That makes me want to throw up and die when I think about that, but um, I think it's the truth. So he's got a, an elite goal scorer. He's got a, a veteran in David Perron on the other side, and at times he could have Lucas Raymond as well. There's ample uh, talent around him now to continue to produce and help those players produce. If we're looking from a production standpoint, I think point per game is certainly within the reach for Dylan Larkin. And he's also got to just be part of the, the, the growing the culture within this team. If this team's going to be successful and develop a winning culture, he's got to be the head of it. Um, and I don't see why he, he can't do that. Really nice guy too. Talk to oh, him at, yeah. the, um, at the, the Jamie Daniels Foundation Roast and Toast. Really great guy. Alex Dabrinkit, speaking of people who are at the Rose and Toast, and probably the newest Red Wing who's making the most headlines this season. This uh, Detroit won the Alex Dabrinkit lottery, and he more or less forced his way over to Hockey Town, which we're all thrilled about. But Detroit went out and got the premier goal scorer that they needed to add to the lineup. I think they could use a couple more premier players, but this is a great start. We haven't had this. Since we started the, the podcast, we haven't had a such a high-name free agent come to the Red Wings. Well, Steven Samkos almost did. You know what? There's going to be people who are newer listeners who are, aren't going to understand that joke. And they're going to think, no, he didn't. And they would be right. Yes, they would be right. And that he wasn't even close to coming. But he did. Well, we got Dennis Cholosky out of it, so it was pretty cool. And Philip Peronik eventually. That's right. That's right. Which did turn into, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Alex Dabrinkit. What are the expectations coming in for him? Brand new team, brand new system. Down year last year with only 27 goals compared to 41 the year before. This is a trigger man that Detroit needs to be a trigger man because they're starved for offense. What's next for Debrinkit? So I've already seen conversations about how is Debrinkit going to fit in Lalone's system and can he be a 200-foot player and all that fun stuff. Let me be clear. I don't care. This guy needs to score goals and lots of them. He needs to score a ton of goals, and it's the number one thing the Red Wings have been missing. It's the number one thing he was brought in to do. So if he's not a perfect 200-foot player, I don't care. If he's not playing PK, if he's you know not contributing in half the ice, I don't care. 
Obviously, we want him to, and we hope he does. But he needs to score goals. The Red Wings have a million players who can play well defensively. Hell, his centerman can do that. Can do it very, very well. His other winger can do it very well. He needs to do the one thing everybody else in this team struggles to do, and that is create goals. Create easy goals. Because think of how the Red Wings have scored goals for the last few years. They've all felt like a struggle. No shots from the perimeter that just go in. So many rebounds, so many cycles. Just a guy who can get in position, get a shot off, puck goes in the net. Easy goals. And uh, if he's not doing that, it's a problem. And if he is, it's a huge problem solved. Alex Dabrinkit, I'll give him some leeway in that he's coming into a brand new team, not the kind of game that he's used to playing, and he's coming off and off years. So it's going to be, a, I would imagine, a little bit of rust to be shaken off for him in terms of fitting in. I don't expect him to be scoring at a 40-goal pace right away. I do think you want to see that, though. Like I, I think Red Wings fans can come in and say, we need this guy to be a 30-goal scorer. Another aspect to his game is his ability to be a playmaker as well. And like you said, Brad, create easy goals. We saw that in the preseason with him and Larkin a couple times there early on. And having Larkin and Perron or whoever as as line mates, that's going to be an advantage as well because he can do the shooting himself or he can draw pressure away from those guys. And we've seen Larkin especially has become such a good opportunistic goal scorer. His finishing ability from, you know, high danger areas, it's just it doesn't always look the sexiest. It's not always on the highlight reel, you know, highlight of the night or whatever, but he buries them, and that's how Larkin got to 30 goals. So Dabrinka can factor into that offense two ways. Much the same as when Derek Lalone came into the Red Wings you know, bench last year, we said it's going to take some time for the entire team to mesh under him. I think Alex Dabrinka is going to probably need some time to get up to game speed with the Red Wings, not you know himself physically. But yeah, other than that, I fully agree, Brad. The A lot is shouldered by him because that's what he was brought in to do, provide... Not all the goals the Red Wings need because the Red Wings still need a lot more that can't be found with this lineup. They are not going to be one of the highest scoring teams in the league, but he has to be a big problem solver on that front. I guess one thing going for him is he's not coming over at the trade deadline and really being forced into a a new team and a new environment. He's had the offseason to get sort of acclimatized to his environment. So I wouldn't expect the rust to be there a lot, but, you know, it's still a new team, um, new system, new environment. I could see it being a little slow to start, but um, yeah, he's a goal scorer. He's got to score goals. That's essentially <laughs> what he's paid to do. And uh, I would expect, I don't, I don't have a gold total in mind for Alex Abrinkit, but you know, that's his MO. He's got to score goals. Speaking of his two-way game though, I will say that he noted in the preseason that he was especially poor as a two-way player last year. And and no, you don't need him to be a Selkie Trophy winner, but there's something to be said for him just kind of rounding out his game and providing that effort at both ends. You you just don't want him to be a liability in his own zone, which if he's... If everybody else is playing defense, I think he'll be okay. He should... He's a little bit of buy-in, and then, yeah, you should be fine. Yeah, I would like him to be competent defensively, but if he's scoring 40 goals, I don't care. If he's scoring 40 goals, take one shot at your own net per game. I don't... Yeah, (laughs) please. Not that... For legal purposes, that was a joke. Let's talk about no, no, you know, disrespect to David Perron, but folks are going to be wondering about Lucas Raymond. He's not listed on the first line right now, but he's one of the most important Red Wings forwards in terms of Detroit taking a step up this year. If he, if Detroit is going to finish, you know, 
above Ottawa or anyone else around them, Raymond has to be a big part of that. So what's on the docket for Raymond this year, uh, this in his third season? I think he might be the most important player in this forward group. Fully agree. What he turns into is really going to shape the the future of this team in a lot of ways because we've talked at length about their scoring issues and why they brought in an Alex to bring it. And we've also talked at length about how rare the opportunities to bring in a player like Alex to bring it are. So you can't rely on it. The Red Wings themselves have talked about and we've talked about they need goals to come from internally. They need guys to step up. They need stars. Lucas Raymond has the tools. We've seen the flashes. Lucas Raymond, if he has a 55, 60-point season this year, that's great. That's a good season. But that also leaves a huge hole in the uh, forward group going forward because they need a guy to be more than that. And Lucas Raymond, again, fairly or unfairly, is pretty much the only internal hope outside of maybe Nate Danielson of being a 65-plus point guy a forward who is able to change the complexion of a game. That's the reality of it. It sucks. It's not fair to him. But that is the absolute position he is in. That is the absolute position this organization is in. And if Lucas Raymond can pop off for 65 to 70 points this year, that is massive, not only for the Red Wings playoff chances this year, but how they construct this forward group going forward. I think there's a, an element of Lucas Raymond that's tied to the path of other players along the same kind of vein as him in terms of when they were drafted, how good they're expected to be. You think of Stutzla, you think of Boldy, and it might seem unfair, especially, you know, some players play center, some players are playing with more talented players. I, I don't mind that comparison at all because I think you're right, Brett. I think if Detroit really is going to make a big, big difference here in terms of the leap that they can take, and providing some solutions to their offense from within, Lucas Raymond has to be the centerpiece of that. There's a good chance that he ends up being more of a middling kind of forward or a a lower, you know, just below star level or whatever it is, but we've seen his capacity to be a true star in the NHL. And that can be with his shot. That can be with his playmaking. That can be with his tenacity. It can be with a lot of different facets of his game. You know, Lucas Raymond at the height of his game is a fantastic player through and through, and he's a fan favorite for a reason. The sophomore slump doesn't scare me as much as it scares other people. I think I, I'm, I'm pretty optimistic about Lucas Raymond, but it's not a sure thing. And he has to come in and take a big step this season. Part of that was, you know, getting a lot stronger in the offseason and working on his shot and his physical strength and, you know, ability to find open space. And those are all things that it looked like based on preseason and training camp that he really did make strides in. And now it comes time to show. And I think people who sleep on the Red Wings or who aren't optimistic about the Red Wings, are maybe taking too much of Lucas Raymond's sophomore season into account. It's not easy to be a star in the NHL and not everyone comes in as immediately you know, a superstar from day one, even if they end up being a great player. He's still very young, but now's the time to start taking a step. Yeah, and his season last year, was a, it was a real slow burn. He was not producing a lot at the start, but I thought his second half of his season was actually pretty good, so... If he can build upon that, it looks like he's looking really good for my limited viewing in preseason. This is the most important year of Lucas Raymond's career. We really need to see a, a substantial jump in terms of his you know, eye test and the counting stats. And I think he's setting himself up to do just that. And the Red Wings are really banking on it. They got a lot of their eggs in this basket. 
pressures on him unfairly or not, but uh, he, by all means, it looks like he could uh, take the next step this season. I hate to assign a goal total to him. You just want to see him improve based on last year. Like, yeah, get to 60, 65 points. But if he could be a 25 goal guy this year, like that would be a great season for Lucas Raymond. Any more is outstanding. But you just want to see him, like Evan alluded to, be more consistent, be a threat, you know, game in and game out, and not be isolated or shut down as easily as we saw last year. He spent his first two years but playing on the top line on a bad team. The good teams just eat those guys alive. You know, if he starts up, starts a little bit further down the lineup, you know, maybe that is exactly what Lucas Raymond needs to really take off like a rocket. David Perron, you know, the guy who at least to start and much like last year on the power play took up a lot of what would have been Lucas Raymond's time and deservedly so because he has been an excellent addition to this Red Wings roster. He's coming into his second season. We saw him demonstrate some of the best puck protection abilities in the NHL, some of the best left wall play, especially in the power play in the NHL. Such a smart player, the way he plays his game, like 35, but you wouldn't know it by the way he plays. And, you know, not a good skater, but demonstrates. the most patient with the puck human being on the face of the earth. Unbelievably good with it. And he demonstrates how you don't need to be a good skater to be impactful in the NHL. Last year, 56 points. This year, the Red Wings are going to be relying on him again for offense. What are the expectations for Perron? Keep the age regression to a minimum. Yeah. That That's all it is. We know what David Perron is at this point in his career. He's going to be a good support man. And if his job this year does end up being the support man for Larkin and Dabrinkit, it sounds overly simplistic. Just keep up. You don't need to drive that line. You don't. He won't need to do very much on that line at all. Win some puck battles. Distribute the puck. And if one of them gets you a chance in a key area, don't miss. Yep. It's he, he's the third guy on that line. And, you know, even if he ends up on the second line with a, a comp for hypothetically, the role doesn't change all that much. He might need to be a bit more of a trigger man in that scenario. He has a shot for it. Yeah, he does. And he absolutely does. And uh, his thing is he's a well-rounded guy. He can do everything but skate. So if he's playing with guys who can skate, then he needs to just lean into his strengths in order to facilitate the puck as needed. Don't overcomplicate it. And, you know, father time's undefeated, so hopefully he can go at least a couple more rounds. Continue to be impactful in the power play, a leader in the room, and punch other players in the face when you need to. That's what we saw from Perron. So great at finding players in open space. So whether that's on the first line or using his trigger on the second or wherever, yep. The Perron story is easy. JT Comfer, you know, a player who's brought in similar, so similar to Cop last year, brought in to be a second or middle six center. Not the highest producing player in the league, but can produce, had 56 points or 52 points last season in an expanded role in Colorado and just plays a 200-foot game. He's listed with Fabry and Raymond at least to start the year. What are expectations for JT Comfer, who I think had a fantastic preseason? He did. I really like JT Comfer. We've talked again about how his versatility could be absolutely huge for this team. Uh, Can play up and down the lineup, can play wing, can play center, right-handed shot, which helps. The expectations for JT Comfer are similar to Lucas Raymond, but different. When we talked about how we said, you know, Lucas Raymond, fairly or unfairly, has to be like a 60, 70-point guy. 
fairly, JT Comfort needs to be a 50-point guy. He got the contract of a 50-point guy. He mm-hmm. just came off a 50-point season. He's anchoring the second line to start, which is the biggest question mark spot in this organization right now, at least going into this season. It's his job, and he got paid for it to be his job. He can't regress. He can't go from 51 or whatever it was points in Colorado last year to 42 in Detroit this year. I don't think he's going to do it. I think if he can get close to it, that's acceptable. But he's a second-line guy. He's the jack-of-all-trades guy. And this is a team that struggles to score, so that jack-of-all-trades has to include offense. And what's he a master of is is making the game hard for the other team in his own zone. That's what I've really loved about watching his game is Detroit is going to win a lot of games this year where you're going to think at the end, oh, wow, that was ugly, but they got the W. They got the two points. Or, oh, wow, Detroit scored two goals or three goals just barely by the skin of their teeth, but they still end up getting the win. And that doesn't only come from goaltending. That comes from being a stingy, stingy team to play against. Is it the most fun hockey, like Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, score, 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 hockey in the world? No, but that's not what the Red Wings have the personnel to do. So how do you win with the personnel? You have JT Comfort types come in and and make just the right plays, the kind of plays where you're not exactly shutting down a high-danger scoring chance from the other team in your own zone. You're preventing it from even starting, and that's what JT Comfort comes in to do. So I fully agree with you, Brett. I think there is an offensive expectation. If you're going to be a second-line center, you need to produce at least some. No one's asking you to be a point per game, but his the biggest value he's going to bring is that defensive stabilization. Yeah, he's got to be the 200-foot guy chipping offensively for the money he's getting paid. Uh, to me, that's what it has to be, and that's what's required of second-line centers these days. If, if teams are going to roll three and maybe sometimes four lines, you got to produce or you're going to fall down the lineup quickly. And you know, Jake T. Comfort plays with that high motor type type game, and I th- I think it's there, and it can't regress. Basically, I don't think there's any question he's going to be good defensively. Like I think that's a pretty safe assumption. He's going to do that because yeah, he's yeah. he's been doing that his whole career. The offense is new, and that's the standard he's going to be held to because that is an unknown. Is it repeatable? Will he do it again? All right, moving on here to Robbie Fabry, who. To me, as a player where the narrative is a little bit unfortunate, and I understand why it exists in that he's constantly battling some kind of really, not his fault, injury. You know, this isn't Tyler Bertuzzi going out there without the wrist guards on and breaking his hand or whatever it is. It's really unfortunate luck with his knees. Had an injury scare at the start of the preseason. Is healthy now. But there's always this kind of surprise when he comes back because he spends so much time away and battling injury and, and out long term. When he comes back, like Robbie Fabry has a scoring touch and is genuinely a middle six player who is impactful on the Red Wings. So for me, if Robbie Fabry can stay healthy, that's a big boon to the Red Wings offense because like he fits in in that kind of quiet, unassuming, but you're like, oh yeah, this guy scores way more than we anticipate kind of way. Yeah, I have nothing to add on Robbie Fabry other than the training staff needs to do whatever they need to do to keep them healthy. If they just collect spare parts from uh, different people's knees and keep them somewhere in the training room, so be it. Let's just do what we have to do to keep Robbie on the ice. Certainly there's a patron out there who's willing to donate some some tendons and ligaments. Yeah, the only thing Robbie Fabry has to do this year is to stay healthy. And I think if he can do that, everything else falls into place. Uh, we've all watched him 
and what style of game he brings when he's healthy. And I think that's a very much needed element to the Red Wings. It's just, you know, health is the is the greatest skill he could have this year. Speaking of guys who, when they're healthy, make an impact, your personal favorite, Evan, Michael Rasmussen. Well, he is definitely the most important Red Wing uh, to watch this season. <laughs> and, you know, I say Not that. Not even kidding. People will laugh at that. And, you know, I do I fully believe it? Probably not. But this team was completely different without him in the lineup. Like, he went from maybe questioning why he's on this lineup to being a guy I think has to be in this lineup for this team to have success. And people say, oh, why do you think that? And it's not like he scores a lot of goals. He doesn't produce a lot. But I think it could continue to increase if he stays healthy. Like He's transformed his skating. He's become a bit of a water bug out there. He's become extremely tough to play against. And he's when he plays wing, he's kind of found his bread and butter and he can play great in tight and below the goal line. So I expect big things from Michael Rasmussen this year, and I think the team does too. Yeah, his impact to the team's psyche, the way they show up on the ice, you know, you think about those two games against Ottawa where they not only lost, they got absolutely bullied. Like, you need the Michael Rasmussen's out there to give the other team the crazy eyes. He's not a fighter, but he's the type of guy where you look at him like, that guy is a little crazy. Yeah, you he gets in the mix. Like he absolutely gets in the mix and frankly like you said when he's on the wing and can just not be responsible for you know creating the play but he's driving down the wing and barreling down on the goalie he can produce. I don't think he's a point per game player like you're not talking star level production but the kind of production where his impact in the middle six makes a lot of sense. And you've seen the Red Wings use him higher up in the lineup because he does the right things and can play with better players. So if he stays healthy, he had a really unfortunate, it was a broken kneecap last year, which was terrible. He stays healthy, stays in the lineup. I think we can see him take another step. Now, I do want to kind of moderate expectations a little bit. I don't want people thinking, oh, if Michael Rasmussen doesn't go out there and score 60 points and his season's a failure. No, I, I don't think that's the kind of player he is. I'm not saying there isn't more offense to him. I actually think there is, but not to the tune of what I've seen floating around or, or suggested by some folks. This is probably the player where the conversation about how the Red Wings need to out-depth teams to win games really starts to come to light. He's slated to start on the third line right now, but he was about a half a point per game player last year. If you have two or three guys on your third line that are putting up 40-ish plus points, that's huge. You're going to win the third line battle every night. You know, we know the Red Wings second line, whoever that ends up being ultimately, is not going to fare well against other teams' second lines this year. We we know that. It's just about treading water there. But, you know, if the third line is featuring a guy like Rasmussen or Sprong or Cop, which is what it is slated to be right now, that's a matchup advantage and it has to be capitalized on. We know, again, and this is going to be, you know, the theme with the team this year, we know what Cop and Rasmussen are going to bring defensively. Mm-hmm. And we know it's going to be great. Even on their bad games, it's going to be passable. Can they start to dominate the other end of the ice with a little more consistency? Again, I don't expect Rasmussen to put up 50 plus points. If he does, holy hell, that is just unbelievable. That is found money. That is just a huge, huge, you know, stroke of luck for this organization. 
But again, if he can put up 40 and Cop can put up 40 and Sprong can shovel in 20 goals from the bottom six, that is the formula for some wins with this team. Andrew Cop, I think for me, the expectations are a copy and paste from Comfer. They're a copy and paste from Cop last year. The obvious context here is that He's healthy. He's not coming off core surgery. He's not dealing with a ton of rust and getting up to game speed. And we learned as the season went on the kind of impact that that has on a player that maybe wasn't understood before. But, yeah, this is Andrew Kopp's year to do essentially what is expected of JT Comfer. Stay healthy, score more. Yep, produce, do what you do defensively. I think we saw Kopp really turn it on, you know, by virtue or, or by analysis of the eye test as his season went on and just do that consistently all year. Find someone you mesh with in the depth, and like Brad said, that's where a little bit more production will come from. Okay, speaking of depth, Daniel Sprong, who, you know, guys who had impressive preseasons, I talked about JT Confer. Sprong, for me as well, showed his his trigger. He showed why, with very limited minutes with Seattle, he was able to put up 20 goals, and why I think he should be a likely candidate to be a 20-goal scorer for Detroit, and he's not even looking to be in the top six. Easy goals. Shooters got to shoot. What might be the most important thing for Sprong to do this year is, I don't even know how to phrase this properly, make Perron and Lucas Raymond uncomfortable in their spots. Mm -hmm. If you have a guy on the third line shooting the lights out, 20, 25 goals like we know Sprong can do from a depth role, make the coach think about moving him up the lineup. Again, competition breeds success. If Lucas Raymond's sitting at Christmas with 12 goals and Sprong's sitting there with 18, he probably knows he needs to ramp it up or whatever the benchmark in the season is going to be. So, you know, again, the Red Wings need to out-depth teams. In terms of the scoring aspect of that, Sprong is the most critical player for that because we've seen him do it. He's starting in the bottom six. How? What? What is the ceiling from that position? He's this year's Dominic Kubelik for Detroit. Yeah, essentially. This team can't last season could not score goals. Daniel Sprong just has to come in and be that depth scoring guy. And you know what? If he has a great start to the season, move him up the lineup. But I think it's going to be very critical to have him in the right spot to breed success. He's not the guy you, you shove up on the top line, I don't think. But I think if given the right spot in the lineup, he could definitely continue to to score some goals power play contributions as well like Detroit's yeah. Brad talks about easy goals goals on the man advantage like they need to continue to show improvement on that front you know good stories out of camp we talked about all the young players who didn't earn a spot and Joe Valeno certainly wasn't a certainty but he has locked down that fourth line center spot at least to start the year looks to be flanked by Clem Costin and Christian Fisher so what are the expectations for Joe Valeno now keep progressing again the narrative around him has always been Eventually, he gets it. Uh, he starts slow. It takes him a while to adapt to his new level, and obviously the NHL being the ultimate test of that. This preseason, and for flashes last year, we saw the scoring touch. Is that a regular thing? Can he do it with any consistency? Because if you look at Joe Valeno's goals in the preseason and last year, there aren't many ugly ones. He, he can make skill plays to score skill goals, and you watch some of these and you go, how did he only score nine goals last year or whatever it was? Yeah. Is that his ceiling or does he have the next step? 
he's got a unlike most of the players we've talked about so far, he's got some things <laughs> he's owned to clean up. He's not a perfect player there. But he's he's adequate there and he has the tools to be good there. So you want him to be a 200-foot center. He's got the tools to be a 200-foot center. Hopefully this is the year it all starts to really piece together for him. For me, he's the kind of guy where, like it or not, it wasn't a lock that he was going to stay on this team long term. I agree with you, Brad. He has all the tools to do it. And he's going to have to take a step in terms of production this year to make sure he's not the guy who's on the outs when we talk about, oh, you know, when Casper makes it, when Danielson makes it, when whoever makes it, who are they going to replace? If Valeno doesn't show progress this year on the offensive production front, then he's at risk in that regard. I do agree with you, though. We've seen progress, especially when he gets some runway. He gets better as the season goes on. He just needs to be a little bit more. It needs to, it, it now needs to take the next step in terms of acceleration, in my mind. Yeah, he needs to continue to improve upon what he's already improved upon. Like being a fourth line center is not a guarantee that you're going to have a long term NHL career. So, and I, I'm sure he's the first one to to know that. Um, so we got to continue to see more of him. And he's he's still young. There's still lots, I think, to Joe Valeno's game that's that needs to be uncovered. It's just going to be hard to do on the fourth line of a bad team. Um, but you know, you got to make your own opportunities, and I think Joe can do that. Clean Costin, new addition. Brought in to have that kind of fourth line, somewhat presence scored ten go- or eleven goals, ten assists last season. Punch people in the face, and I think that's exactly what he was brought into Detroit to do. Simple enough with him. Yes, he makes the team tough to play against. Not a black hole in terms of having that fourth line production. So is Joe Valeno getting, you know, Alex Debrinket? No, but he's not getting, you know, a shell of. I'm so sorry to do this to the Darren Helm fans. His name just comes into mind, but like late stage Darren Helm in his career. And then Christian Fisher, you know, that's a depth player. I don't want to say Christian Fisher is going to come out of the lineup, but you look at that fourth line and those are the guys who you say, if someone's going to come out of the lineup, Christian Fisher might be one, but he's also a player that the Red Wings brought in to be tougher to play against. Again, same as Clem Costin. He scored 13 goals, 14 assists with Arizona last year. So he was impressive in a depth role for them. So they're hoping that he's not someone who's coming out of the lineup and brings not a ton, a respectable amount of depth scoring. That line can't get caved by the other team and they need to chip in from time to time. That's essentially it. And they just need to make lives difficult for the other team. So overall with this forward group, you know, we've said a lot this episode, we've said a lot all off season. Detroit's problem is scoring. Now this is the, deepest forward group the Red Wings have had in a long time and this is the most talented forward group the Red Wings have had in a long time that doesn't make them deeper or more talented than league average necessarily I do think they actually are very deep based on league average I think there's better teams who would like Detroit's depth but overall what are your senses about this forward group what are your expectations for this forward group and what are you watching broad strokes coming into the season (laughs) is this a playoff offensive group and to the naked eye, at least at this point, my answer would be no. You know, when we were going through player by player, there were a lot of players we were talking about where they have to exceed what they have done previously or match career highs, which statistically speaking, doesn't usually happen. And that's not even talking about any regression candidates. 
a lot has to go right for this forward group to produce at a playoff level. It's not impossible. Again, when we talked about it player by player, we laid out the map for what has to happen individually and cumulatively. That is what will bring this team to the playoffs. Do I think JT Comfer is going to break 50 points again? Probably not. Do I think Andrew Kopp's going to break 50 points? Probably not. Do I think David regret, uh, David Perron is going to completely ward off father time and see no regression this year? Probably not. Do I think Lucas Raymond is going to break 70 points this year? Probably not. And a lot of those things I have to be wrong about for this team to make the playoffs ultimately. So you are right. This team would be, there are other better teams that would be envious of Detroit's depth. Because again, you look at their third line, their fourth line, those match up very well. The second line is a problem. The first line should be better, but is it a top 10 line in the league yet? Probably not. So they'll hold their own defensively. We know that. We saw the loan system last year. It's a good system. You have good 200-foot players. I just, I I have deep concerns about where the goals are actually going to come from this year. Yeah, I think, to offer maybe a slightly different narrative or perspective on the uh, the Red Wings forward group, it's, you know, the, the Red Wings, we all know it. They didn't score goals last year. They have to improve in that. Again, they don't, not only do they need to do better by themselves, like and score more than the Red Wings of last year, they need to improve around the league. They need to be better than 26th or 24th in goals scored like they were last year. The special teams need to be better, which, you know, ties into the defense as well. But, you know, large that is largely driven by the forwards because a lot of teams do four forwards, one D on power plays now. So just listening to the conversation we were having about the forward group, we're talking a lot about how guys need to continue to do this and more, or they need to, you know, build upon this and exceed. We're not saying, oh, so-and-so just has to keep doing their thing or so-and-so, they had a great season, more of that. It's a lot of guys having to continue to grow where we don't know if that's possible. Like, we're not talking about a a star rookie. Like, we're saying Lucas Raymond definitely could fit that mold, but I don't get warm and fuzzy when I think about this forward group. So, I don't know if you want... There's I'm not going to sign a letter grade or anything. That's just kind of the vibes I'm getting when I look at the forward group for this team. I'm just impressed that you're here, man. I'm not going to ask too much of you. (laughs) Yeah, me too. I don't... I understand objectively exactly what you're both saying and you know i'm not going to sit here and say you're categorically wrong i think i'm just seeing a little bit more of a glimmer of hope than maybe i'm justified probably than i'm justified in seeing but to me hockey in the nhl like this is a sport that is so often dictated by team play rather than individual performances and not that that's going to be what saves the red wings i would certainly love if they had an elias Pettersson or a Connor mcdavid or jack hughes or whatever but there's a pathway for this team to be, you know, the Seattle, the formerly New York Islanders, or they might keep doing it. A team that comes together and, and lacks some of those key elements, but finds a way to win and get up the standings, even though it's not pretty. I don't think they're going to score at a top end clip. You're right, Brad. And, you know, everything that both of you just said is exactly correct. But I just think the evidence that we saw from last year in terms of how they can come together and win games is a is a very real possibility. And to me, this lineup is substantially better than last year. 
not at the top. Like they added to Brinkett, and that's fantastic. And if Raymond has a a massive third year, then that's like adding another star player. But the depth to me allows the possibility to see that glimmer of hope a little bit more. I'm not gonna, and you, we're gonna get into playoff conversation after we do defense and goalies here in a second. I, I'm not gonna assign this a high probability that my optimism is is gonna come to fruition. But despite the still very real concerns of where the scoring is going to come from and every other argument against them. Like, yes, you're right, Evan. A lot has to go right and a guy has to have a career year. Like, that's all very true. I think this might be the system where a lot of little things can come together just so they can achieve sixth in the division. (laughs) Just to sprinkle some optimism, I guess, on my take is, you know, I'm excited to see what Daniel Sprong can bring. I'm excited to see where Dylan Larkin continues to take his career. I'm excited to see what Lucas Raymond does. So there are, you know, some interesting and exciting things to this forward group. Don't get me wrong. It's just when you look at it as a collective whole, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's some, it's, it is what it is, I guess. I don't know how to better say it. We got a ton of depth, but I don't see a 50 goal guy there. I don't see anyone who gets me totally out of my seat, but you know, you don't totally need that, I guess right now. The trap we got to be careful not to fall into is holding this Ford group to the standard of how much better are they than last year's group? Because that doesn't mean anything. What is this group going to look like compared to the eighth seed in the playoffs? What is this team going to look like relative to league average? We don't want to compare the Red Wings to the Red Wings because undoubtedly they're better than last year's Red Wings forward group. That's a really low bar to clear. That it shouldn't be the bar. The bar should be, is this forward group better than, or at least, you know, can this forward group contribute on a team that's going to keep up with, possibly exceed, Buffalo, Ottawa, Florida? Because that's the benchmark. They have to clear those teams if they want to sniff the playoffs this year. Yeah. Okay, let's get into defense here. I want to make sure that we give enough time to the full Red Wings roster, not the just the ones who are expected to score goals, although there will be offense from the blue line. Believe it or not, I'm going to start with Mo Sider. Comes into his third season, had a fantastic rookie year, obviously the Calder winner. The sophomore season started out poor as he struggled. He struggled to play along Ben Schrott, was moved to a pairing with Jake Wallman and just became Mo Sider of old and can you know took steps that we thought, not where a write-off for last season, but we were just happy to see him come back into old form. To me, Mo Sider is Detroit's overall most important player right now. And, you know, at any given point in the season will be Detroit's best player. He'll be up there with Larkin or whoever's performing. Expectations, analysis, anything on Mo Sider coming into this year. Here it is, Ryan. The one player we can say it on. If we're looking at last year from like January 1st to the end of the season, Keep doing what you're doing, son. (laughs) We like what we see. We don't need you to fundamentally change who you are and dramatically improve upon your game. Mo Sider for the second half of the season is an all-star level defenseman, and that is A-OK. You know what makes me really optimistic about Mo Sider, other than his entire game and the fact that he's been getting better essentially the entire time he's been with Detroit? He doesn't have a contract extension yet, and he knows the money he's playing for right now. Like it's not nothing that him and Raymond haven't signed extensions. Well, there's going to be more conversation on that in future episodes, but he's playing for his next big deal and he sees what other players around him are getting. 
I don't think he can be necessarily compared to Rasmus Dahlin, but you know, Dahlin's number being 11, like that, that's there for Mo Sider. He knows the kind of season he has to have to get the big payday. And that's the thing with Mo is if he is what he was for the second half of last year, that is acceptable. But I don't think anybody listening doesn't think he doesn't still have another gear. He absolutely has another he, gear. So he could be even better and again, found money if that happens. And yeah, money is a hell of a motivator. hundred percent. If Mo Sider continues to be even steadier and steadier defensively, if Mo Sider continues to be a 50 plus point uh, pace, or even, you know, he had 50 points in his first season guy, if he's a physical force and, and tough to play against stronger, faster, like the kid is just 22 last April. He is going to find another gear yet. I have no problem saying that Mo Sider has big expectations on his shoulders, and I have no problem saying that he's the player I'm most confident in to realize them. Oh, yeah, and uh, he's the type of guy who relishes in those sort of expectations. And, you know, this will be the first year he has the sa- a consistent D partner, so long as Wallman stays healthy. Uh, we found a pairing that is dynamic and absolutely works together. So big season coming up for Moritz Sider, but I don't think he has to change anything to continue that. Speaking of Jake Wallman, found money for Detroit. They found a first pairing left side defenseman, a guy who can play along their best defenseman and not just do okay, actually elevate him. A guy who is an unexpected star piece of a trade where a second round pick was presumably going to be the best return that they got. And a player who our good friend of the show, Prashant Iyer, host of Expected by Whom, uh, advocates for as one of the most underappreciated defensemen in the league, Jake Wallman. What a stud he's been for Detroit. And I think there isn't even more to him yet because we talk about everything that he's done and how he's elevated play next to Mo Sider. He still had nine goals and nine assists last year. Those aren't big numbers. And I think there's more to him. Well, that's just it. He's going to be, he should continue to be a good complimentary partner for Mo, and his primary focus should be freeing up Mo to be Mo. Mm-hmm. And then his second priority should be, all right, how do we pump up the offensive numbers? Because he can skate, he's got a bomb of a shot, he's good in his D zone, he's a good complimentary piece decider, but yeah, he definitely has more than 18 points in him. So how does he unlock that? And obviously his offensive ceiling is going to be a little restricted because if Mo Sider is his D partner, well, in a perfect world, the puck's going to be on Mo's stick a hell of a lot more than his. Mm -hmm. So that just comes with the territory, but that doesn't mean he can't improve on the 18 points. So Jake Wallman staying on that top line and continuing to elevate Mo Sider. It's not dissimilar to Alex Dabrinkit. Is your strong play elevates the plays like the player around you, and those are very important players. So it's found money. Keep doing what you're doing, and let's just see the results on the board as well, because the goals can't only come from the offensive group. Shane Gossespierre, not necessarily listed next on the death chart, but a guy who I was really impressed with in the preseason and bring some of that offense for Detroit. <laughs> An offensive player coming into a team who can't score. Why would he have expectations? His, you know, you're almost wondering why Detroit was able to pick him up. It was a one-year deal and, you know, he's going to want to earn more money after this season. So you understand the dynamics of that that contract. But 
seeing how dynamic of a player he is on the offensive blue line and what he can contribute to the power play, he makes me very, very excited for Detroit's power play. Oh, yeah, thousand percent. Uh, if all he has to be is adequate at five on five, as long as he continues to be dynamic on the power play and the contract is tremendous value. He is what three seasons removed from 2021, 2022 with Arizona. He had he was a 50 point player. Yeah. Shane Gosses Bear is, is one of my most underrated additions for the Red Wings. Now, a player who's returning had a tumultuous first season, Ben Sherratt. What do we need to see from Ben Sherratt for this year to be successful? Uh, I, this will give me the only time you're ever going to hear me say this. Less chaos. Because mm-hmm. again, we've talked at length about all the tools. He can skate, he can shoot, he's got hands, can make a good pass. But he gets caught out of position so much that it almost doesn't matter. So he just needs to calm down. <laughs> Be reliable, be responsible, and uh, I think he's paired up with Petrie to start. So just just let your your partner do what they need to do, and don't make it any harder on them. Yeah, Ben Sherratt's play is like the veteran presence he brings in the room has been stated a lot, and it very obviously has an impact. And you know how long he's been around the league, you understand that he knows how the game is played. I think inside the opposing team's blue line, he's especially. Handy, like he is a an absolute, like he, he is a very real threat with the puck on a stick on the other team's blue line. But like you said, Brad, he's a wild card in terms of how he chooses to engage from defense. And the team was out of position quite a few times last year because of it. So the deployment of Ben Chirot and who he's paired with needs to be steadier and it just needs to be a little bit more measured in terms of where he's activated across the ice. You don't need Ben Chirot to be a first pairing D-man. They tried that. It didn't work. It was, you know, the team was hopeful. It just didn't land that way. That is what it is. Like, that's not a discussion anymore. They need him to be steady in, in a depth role. I'm hoping the addition of higher caliber NHL players will just allow him to at least mentally think he doesn't have to do everything out there, whether that's the correct approach or not. Yeah. Less riverboat gambling this season, please. <laughs> Speaking of partner, Jeff Petrie. What are the expectations for... Another, you know, hometown kid, Ann Arbor, coming home to uh, play the last phase of his career in Detroit. It's not much, honestly, in terms of expectations. He's on a reduced contract with salary retained, coming to his hometown. The nostalgia is high. Uh, The feel-good story is high. The expectations after his previous season are pretty low. Just just be a guy. Be competent. Uh, He he can move the puck better than uh, most on this blue line. save for maybe the top three. Uh, and I'm putting Goss Despair in there. Just just be a guy. Don't be a liability. Move the puck well. Keep your game simple. Again, th- we're in this stage of defensemen where expectations are tremendously low. Yep. it's The expectations for all of these guys is essentially getting to be steady and whatever thing you were brought in for. Petrie, you know, adds a bit of offense. Oli Mata, who we'll do right now, keep being steady and steady the partner beside you and yeah, be boring be very yeah. boring justin hall same thing yeah justin hall be very boring please don't let me notice you that's and that's essentially it you the red wings want these players to be steady nhl veteran depth defensemen you know through either injury or edvinson kicking down the door one of them will end up losing their job to simon edvinson at some point this season 
Maybe it's a trade, whatever it might be, or at least that's what you hope will happen. But in the interim, you want some offense from a Goss Bear or a Petrie, occasionally Sherratt, but overall you just want it to be steady and boring. That's a great way to put it. Overall impressions on the defense outside of what I just said. It's whelming. Yep. That's you got you got the stud in Mo Sider, the good complimentary guy. You got the power play guy with Goss Despair, and then you've got a lot of just please don't screw this up. Whelming is so relatively high compared to <laughs> the defensive cores we've seen in the past. Like it, it qualms though you might have with the Sherratt contract, the the Hall contract, or whoever. This is legitimately the best Red Wings defensive group in a long time. In the future, you hope it evolves, but for this season, you'll take it. Goaltending. Vili Husso, the starter. Yeah. Uh, Husso, hopefully he does not exhaust like he did last year towards the end of the season. We saw him for lengthy stretches prove that he can be the guy. He can be part of the solution, not just a stopgap. And then it all went to hell. So I have no, nothing really in depth to say about Vili Husso other than I can hope, I hope he can maintain that level into, you know, March and April. Yeah. Vili Husso's story isn't dictated by, you know, any deep analysis on him or expectations on him. Like you said, Brad, when he was on his game, he was a great goalie like a re- like a high-end goalie in the NHL and he was stealing some games for Detroit and allowing them to be that stingy team and then he ran out of gas because Detroit's defense isn't an easy defense to play behind if you're a goalie so the story of Philly Husso this year isn't on him it's on Reimer and Lyon so between Alex Lyon and James Reimer both who are carried on this roster it's not common for teams to carry three goalies they need to be able to handle 30-ish games between them solidly. Alex Lyon came in last year for the Florida Panthers, saved their season. They do not get to the cup finals without him playing 15 games and posting a 9-14 save percentage. His ability to, to come in and play at a high level in the NHL has been demonstrated, not over the course of a full NHL starter season. So I'm not expecting him to come in and steal a 1A job for Detroit. But between him and Reimer, who's a you know, older veteran goalie, but who has had heights in his past and can play in a depth goaltending role. They need to come in and be able to just low pressure, reduce the stress on, on really Husso's workload. If you're carrying three goalies, that damn well better be the ultimate goal. That would be the plan. If, if you're carrying three goalies, they all got to play. Otherwise, are you just doing it to screw over Tampa? Well, I mean, that actually is part of it. Like, you don't give Tampa something for free. I respect it, honestly. In a cap world, that's what you have to do. <laughs> like, those are the waiver rules. You're not going to give away Lyon on a two-year, very, very cheap contract for nothing. Even if he doesn't turn out to be good for Detroit or, hypothetically, another team who would claim him on waivers, you don't do that for no reason. But, yeah, you carry three goalies to hope that, you know, you find the hot hand. And then if you have to waive one of them later on to send them down, then you do so at a time when only you need to for your roster, which very obviously the Red Wings aren't feeling a roster crunch right now. And two, there's much less of a likelihood of them getting claimed. So find the hot hand. You know, if it ends up being Reimer waved or Lion waved, I don't, I think I'll pass the point about crying over a backup goalie. 
But I just hope that whoever it is, or even if it's both of them over the course of the year, they can come in and play those 30 solid games for Detroit. Because my summary for the goaltending, which we'll do now, is actually one of my main takeaways for the entire team. This team's season isn't going to be, it's not fair to say make or break based on the goaltending, but without goaltending, there is no foundation and the whole season falls apart. You can't do the formula that the, that the Red Wings are trying to do without solid goaltending because there's going to be games where they aren't good enough defensively and there's going to be games where they are not, you know, they're not scoring enough offensively and they're going to have to be bailed out by their goalies to squeak out a point or two points to keep themselves in the mix in late March and early April for a potential wildcard spot. Well, I can sum it up in a more broad sense to the same point you're making. This team isn't talented enough to cover up significant holes in the roster. Yeah. If the defense melts down, the forwards and goaltending won't be able to pick up the slack. If this team doesn't score, the goaltending and the defense isn't talented enough to win a bunch of 2-1 games. If the goaltending's not there, this team can't win a bunch of 6-5 games. They're just not built that way. Everything has to go right for them to make the playoffs. And again, historically and statistically speaking, it doesn't usually work out that way. So this Detroit team can beat the odds. It's just going to have to, they're going to have to walk that tightrope all year, so to speak. All right, let's get to some projections here. Now that we've done the overall player analysis, goal scoring leader. Actually, like, give me your goal scoring leader and your overall points leader. Your best guess for the Red Wings. This is purely for fun. If the Red Wings are to make the playoffs, the answer to this question has to be Debrinkit and Larkin. Debrinkit for goals, Larkin for points. I'm going to predict that it's Larkin, Larkin. I would say Debrinkit will be a touch behind in a in a you know a good result by the end of the season, but he'll be a touch behind Dylan Larkin for goals, and Dylan Larkin's going to break that point per game plateau. Maybe be an 86 point guy this year. Took the words right out of my mouth. You were going too long. Bad for you because now I'm because I'm sick. So I got, I got sick. Terrible. I got bad news for you guys. If Florkins the leading goal scorer and point scorer, uh, they're not sniffing the playoffs. Well, but. let me tell you about my Atlantic Division preview. <laughs> <laughs> what about so if Larkin goes 35, 42, then Debrinket better be 34, 40. That's what I mean. Like I, I can like, see a world where Debrinket maybe doesn't get right back to forty goals this season, but a thirty goal season for Debrinket is still, you know, you're not kicking through doors or no, we're not. That that's not an a completely unacceptable season for Debrinket. But what did we talk about when we were going through this team? For this team to make any noise this year, acceptable is not acceptable. A, so many guys have to exceed expectations or overperform here or hit career highs here. Yeah, yeah. And so, again, I'm I'm talking in relative to do we want the Red Wings to be a playoff team? Here here is the standard. Here is the expectation. Again, I don't think they're a playoff team. We did our Atlantic. I did definitely did not have them in a playoff spot. So I just I don't see that reality where Larkin and Debrinket both are like flirting 80, 90 point guys and Debrinket's flirting with 40 goals. I, I don't think that's gonna happen, but the standard is. I, I do think Ultimately, Debrinket will lead the team in goals because Larkin is going to be looking for him more, which is going to take goals away from Larkin. Hopefully, it pumps up the assist numbers, hence why I think Larkin still leads the team in points. But I think they're going to be looking for Debrinket. I think Debrinket should have a bounce back year and ultimately will end up leading this team in goals. 
So your prediction for the dark horse positive surprise on the Red Wings this season? Dark horse? Like you can't like not Debrinket, not Larkin. Like who's going to be a standout in a way that really moves the needle for Detroit? Oh man. See, the thing is, nobody immediately jumps to mind, which is a problem. I'm going to go Shane Gostisbehere. Well, that was going to be my answer. So I'll, I'll move away from Shane Gostisbehere. I think another easy answer here would be Daniel Sprong. What is your, like... Yeah, because 22 goals for Sprong isn't like, a, oh my God, wow, how did that happen? Yeah, what's, what's, what is the threshold for it to be a surprisingly positive season? You know, what if Sprong ends up being a 25-plus goal guy by the end of the season is, you know, everyday second-line player? I would say that's a surprisingly positive thing. Yeah, I think Sprong has that in him. I agree with Brad, though. I think Goss and what he can contribute on offense from the blue line as well is a, is a people don't think about it because it's not as fun as seeing, oh, 20 goals from a, a player who you picked up for cheap, but also, in my mind, he could be a needle mover. Michael Rasmussen, 20 goals. Bucket. Yeah, 20 goals. Does he break uh, 45 points? Doesn't even matter. 20 goals. 20 goal guy. <laughs> okay. And then the Red Wings player with the highest expectations on him this season. It's almost an unfair question to ask because we all said Lucas Raymond when we were talking about him. It's Lucas Raymond. Does anyone else stand out for you? For In terms of highest expectation? Who has the most weight on their shoulders? Outside of Lucas Raymond? Uh, I'm going to call it. Saying the goalie's too obvious, so I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna give Huso a pass. JT Comfer. Okay. Yeah, that's a good one. I'd say somewhere in there, you, I could see arguments for Debrinket and Larkin. Obviously, Larkin is the the face of the franchise. Debrinket is the exciting new addition to the team, who's a pure goal scorer. So expectations are very high for him to produce. So I could see arguments for both of them as well. Okay. Points projection for the Red Wings. Your prediction, not based on, you know, everything, like what you think will happen. Where do you think they finish this year in terms of overall points on the board? Last year was 80 points in the standings. Well, it's been a Daniel Sprong theme uh, lately, uh, so I'll stick with it. 88 points. 88, you think they're four wins better? I think they're Where did you have them in uh, the Atlantic? We, We both had them sixth. I, six with like a coin toss between them and Ottawa. Okay. And well, why don't you reveal for the people where you had them in the Atlantic? I have them at seventh. Okay. Wow. So I have Wait. to have less than 88 points. Not necessarily because a lot of my prediction when we were talking about it was predicated on Ottawa's missing their second and third line centers right now. And I'm not as high on Ottawa as everybody else is. So I don't think Ottawa's that like lock for 90 points that most people think they are. Yeah. I mean, an eight point improvement that's significant considering the additions they have i would say i'll say 87 am i going to be this year's optimist Uh, well you can't be the pessimist that's my role that's right and you've been saying seventh in the division all year i think you guys are closer to the actual range with 87 88 i will continue to be the beacon of hope and say detroit overperforms even a little bit more. They went on a skid to end last year and there was some injury. I think they lost, yeah, it was four straight to end this season. So I think they end up as a 91-point team, which will keep them in the conversation. Probably won't, almost definitely won't be good enough for a playoff spot. You know, last year was a very low number, but generally on average, you're looking at anywhere from like 95 to 100 points for playoffs. 
But I, I'll say the Red Wings get five and a half extra wins on the board. So 11 points higher than last year. I say that out loud and I sound like an insane person. But hey. I That's have, a lot of points. I have no problem being the optimistic one. I also think I'm the, the one who's most likely to be wrong. Playoffs. We're not going to do yes, no, because I think by virtue of pure points, not none of us have them in the playoffs. It'd be pretty wild for a seventh seed team <laughs> to make the playoffs. <laughs> wow. And surprising twist, the Metro Division folds at Christmas time. <laughs> so what is the likelihood of the Red Wings overperforming? So last year, 92 points got you in. Let's say it's low again this year. Whatever you have to do. What percentage would you give the Red Wings of squeaking into the playoffs this year? 30%. That. Okay, that, I think that's a super optimistic number. It is. I thought so too. <laughs> I had the Red Wings with 91 points and I was going to give them like 18%. Here's the thing. Here's the very fundamental thing we need to remember. This is hockey. The most random, one of the most random sports on the planet. Every team above them is one injury away from the season basically being nuked. The same thing applies to the Red Wings. I understand that. But again, the whole thing with the Red Wings is they need to out-depth teams. Yeah. They can withstand injuries better than most teams can as long as those injuries aren't Larkin, Debrinket, Cider, Huso. What percentage would you give them? Well, all things... You know what? I say they're going to... I have them at finishing seventh in the division. But, you know what, I do subscribe to the the randomness of hockey and, you know, every sort every night's almost a coin flip in most matchups. I'll say I'll say 20%. Okay. So I, I know I'm I'm speaking out both sides of my mouth saying that and where I think they're going to finish in the Atlantic. But I do honestly believe in both of those scenarios. Especially in the Atlantic right now, because I think most people have Toronto at one, Montreal at eight, and Chaos the middle the is middle. interchangeable. You know, Vasilevsky's out for Tampa. You know, who knows? I still think they're going to be good, but who actually knows? How is Boston going to handle losing the players that they lost? How is Florida going to handle their injuries? Is Buffalo actually good? How is Ottawa going to handle their lack of depth and, you know, Norris and Pinto not playing to start the season? It's chaos. Like, there's there's so much unknown in this division. I have a hard time ascribing any percentages above or below 25 or 75% to any team in this division but Toronto and Montreal. Yeah. We were joking before. It's like, yeah, Toronto at the top, Montreal at the bottom, Detroit and Ottawa next to them in, in whatever direction and everything in between that, close your eyes, throw a dart. And even that could get mixed up, right? So we talked about projections. We talked about, you know, potential for playoffs. We looked at the entire team. We won't do too much on lines right now because we're going to see that evolve as, as the games go on. The Red Wings are starting out their season with a very, very difficult start on the road in New Jersey. I know last year that was, you know, the Red Wings succeeding and it was fire lindy who just now got a contract extension the timing of that is all very funny but new jersey who's poised to be one of the strongest teams in the league in my mind and then at home the home opener on saturday the 14th against tampa bay so on the road thursday the 12th they open the season at home on saturday against tampa bay those are going to be two very very tough tests to start the year so we'll see when we talk next uh, episode which will be sunday how they fared one last thing here 
they talked about going 11 forward, seven defensemen. And so it would be some version of Wallman, Sider, Sherratt, Petrie, Mata, Gossespierre, and then Hall rotating in probably on that bottom pair. And then, you know, I would guess Christian Fisher comes out and it'd be Valeno, Costin, and whoever's cycling, whatever it might be. Thoughts on that versus, you know, 12-6 and the third goalie being carried here obviously complicates things. If Derek Lalonde, as a coach, is competent enough to be able to properly manage that, which not all coaches can do because there's a lot of moving parts in that scenario then. You know, is Larkin dropping down to fill in? Is Debrinkit dropping down to fill in? Raymond, whoever, managing the ice time, managing the rotation, whatever it may be. If he can do it, I don't care. It's fine either way. If he can't, you absolutely do not do it. Yep, I th- and I think the Red Wings have the depth to do, to do this. Like, I don't think it's the world's biggest impact. I don't think we're going to see this forever. I don't think we'll see three goalies on the roster forever. So, like some folks have been saying, it's not like the end of the world. But I think the Red Wings have the depth to be doing this. So that's fine. If they need this time to shake out who on defense is going to earn an actual roster spot over the course of time, yeah, that's that's fine by me. All right. That's our 2023-2024 Detroit Red Wings season preview. It's not done yet. Let's take some questions from our patrons for Overtime. Overtime is a segment on the Winged Wheel podcast where we take questions and comments, uh, most often from our Patreon supporters. This entire show is supported by our our Patreon, patreon.com slash podcast. If you want to take that extra step to support the show and join the so-called Dub Dub Club, you get benefits like access to our Winged Wheel podcast exclusive Discord. You can join uh, at certain tiers. You can join our Winged Wheel podcast fantasy hockey leagues. You get access to our Winged Wheel podcast exclusive bonus overtime episodes. You're automatically entered into all of our giveaways. For example, we're giving away two tickets to every Red Wings home game this season, the vast majority of them going to our Patreon supporters. You get all of that and lots more. Again, patreon.com slash Winged Wheel podcast. We could not do this show without you. All right, let's take some questions here from our patrons. Cody D says, hey guys, is there any player from the course of the rebuild that you really miss or wish that had stuck around or done better? For me, I know he's still with Grand Rapids and all, but man, I was heavily rooting for Hiroshi to be something more than what he is. And I also miss Hironik and Nemesnikov as well. Oh man, players from the rebuild that I wish would have stuck around. When would What year would you say the rebuild have ha, had officially started? Uh, the Zadina draft, call it. Okay, so I can't pick Nick Lidstrom, got it. No, no. <laughs> for, that's an easy answer for me, it's Zadina. Like that's like huge whiff. Like wrong about him. Wish his talent would have translated. I like if Zadina is a a player, the player we thought he could be. This team looks different right now. Simple answer for me. Yeah, that's probably the right answer. I wish Jimmy Howard would have lived long enough to have seen the other side of this. Other than oh, the, uh, he went out the martyr of of it all. Yeah, the poor guy. He's just got he got shelled until his body gave up, and, and now we're lucky to have him on on Valley yeah. Sports, which is great. But yeah. Imagine if Timo Polkanen had a hit ten percent more nets. My God, it'd be fantastic. He might score sixty goals that way. Yeah, what a cannon him and Marty Furk had. Okay, uh, more from the patrons. Give Walman the heart says light the lamp rules. Who do you got for Thursday? Ooh, hmm. I'm gonna go with my my dark horse pick. I'm gonna go Sprung for the oh. for the opener. Okay, thank you. I will take Dylan Larkin. David Perron. Wow, no one took Debrinket or Cider. 
Maybe yeah, a mistake. No, I just went and went ahead and took the leading score from last year. Yep. I really went out on a limb for this one. Fair enough. Uh, Andy says, I understand the frustration and confusion of having no rookies on the roster on opening night, but I think this is more of a perception thing than a black mark on management. Does it matter if Edvinson or Berggren play 60 games starting in December rather than October? Making the team out of camp can be more about vibes, even if the net amount of games is the same if they make the team later in the season. That's a good point that we've alluded to a couple times. Like, look at Soderblom for the inverse of that. Made the team and then, you know, got hurt and fizzled out and ended up in Grand Rapids. And the start of the year was way better than his end of the season. But fair enough in my mind. Uh, Rose says, hey guys, congrats to Ryan, Evan. Ryan and Evan and new wives. Congrats, Evan. Thank you. Uh, I have two questions. What do you think of the 11-7-3 format like we just mentioned? Yeah. It's fine. And what does the Wings schedule look like to start with in terms of difficult teams? So I mentioned New Jersey and Tampa. They have Columbus thereafter, which... Maybe be difficult? I'm not sure. Hard to make how good... Like, I don't know if Columbus will be more like Montreal or Ottawa this year in their own division. They, they don't have a team I would classify as bad the entire month of October. Yeah, because Pittsburgh, Ottawa, that's going to be a key game. Well, Pittsburgh's pretty shit right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, terrible start to the season. Calgary, Seattle, Winnipeg, Boston, Islanders. Like, there's no Montreal's in there, I'll tell you that. So uh, it's not going to be a simple start to the season. But then again, I guess the argument here is how many truly bad teams are there in the Eastern Conference, to which I would argue two. Jonathan Melwish says, hello all, can I have a hot take slash out-of-the-box prediction for the Red Wings uh, doesn't, or for the season? It doesn't have to be Red Wings related. So what is your hot take for this season overall? Uh, I think the one that I had when Evan and I did the Patreon one, it wasn't Red Wings related and it wasn't my nuclear take, but it was hot. I did not have Connor Bedard winning the Rookie of the Year. Yeah, it was going to be mine too. I had Devin Levi. Oh, that's a good one. Because very commonly, you had Buffalo like, making the playoffs, then, right? Yep. Okay. Yeah, I, I think we say we both had Buffalo in a third divisional seat, actually. Okay. I think that's going to be my hot take: is Buffalo firmly in a divisional seat? I don't think that's hot at all. Okay. What's yours? Robbie Fabry stays healthy and plays all eighty-two games. <laughs> I would, it would be fantastic. And one more here from Wildcat Dallas Drake. Just kind of the the flip side of the argument. Uh, they say I'm beating a dead. And pointless horse, but I don't get not having any new young guys on the team. Down goes Brown wrote, where outsiders see a rebuild that's spinning its wheels and watching other teams zoom past, Wings fans see a patient plan unfolding without much help from the lottery gods. We are being patient probably to a fault. Projections are that we'll be an 85 to 90 point team and our ceiling is sixth in in the division. Why not play some prospects? At worst, we're an 80 point team and seventh in the division. Berggren, Edmondson, and Soderblom would give us reason to be excited, or we would find out they weren't going to work out. Either way, it's progress for the team. If I'm alone, I would do the same thing, though. The coach is asked to win games, and using the veterans gives you a better chance to do so. So the push to get the young guys in the lineup would have to come from Steve. Another factor, and this is a note for me here to, to add into this, is there's a very real push to get the Red Wings to just plain and simple win more. They haven't done a lot of that in the last six years. And so doing what they're doing will get you more wins. Is it going to make you a 100-point team this season? In all likelihood, absolutely not. But they should be a much better team this season in terms of actually getting points on the board, getting fans to come to games where they can reasonably expect the team to win. 
And that has a twofold benefit. One, you put butts in the seats and, and that matters whether you like it or not. It's been said by the general manager. It's been said by ownership. Like it's a very real thing. As a fan, you hope that wouldn't matter too much. But also as a fan, I, I personally am very exhausted by watching a shitty Red Wings team. So that's a benefit to me. And two, you teach the team how to win. You add a talented lineup to the NHL, it doesn't automatically start winning games. Knowing how to win is secondary or a second step in, after you you add the personnel to do it. So I can't really fault a lot of your points here, but I can tell you that's a lot of the thinking that goes behind this kind of decision making. There's other elements to it, make the guys earn their spots, et cetera, et cetera, but I digress. People can look at, two people can look at a painting and think two totally different things too, right? I think there is a lot of subjectivity to how you build a, a winning NHL team if you're not winning the draft lottery. And I can hear both sides of the argument there. Are we saying the Red Wings are the Rorschach test of the NHL? Kind of. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Except the, you have seven years to look at it. Except there are two right answers, and the Rorschach test either looks like seventh in the division or sixth in the division. <laughs> and that's folks. that folks is how you know they're going to finish fifth or eighth. And I'm sorry to put that evil on us all. <laughs> all honesty, like I don't, and when I answer these questions, I don't mean to be dismissive of one opinion or the other. It's, I'm going to go back to something that before we wrap up here, I'm going to go back to one thing that Evan said. It's kind of is what it is at this point. Like in terms of looking at this from the lens of this season, and that's what we did this episode, this is what the Red Wings have to work with. The conversation about where's this team going and Ryan, you said they have to GM their way out of this for the future. That's real. No one's wrong by by kind of complaining and saying, where are these wins and where is this talent going to come from in the future? That is very, very real. But it's almost definitely going to be a wait and see until then. And for now, this team is better than they were last year. The talent around them in the division is tougher than it was last year. They have a tall task ahead of them, and we might see a season where success looks like five wins better, Raymond takes a step. DeBrinckit's a great player for Detroit, and they still finish in the same spot in the division. That's just the reality of it. Yep. And on that optimistic note, we're going to wrap up this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. Folks, get your tickets to Winged Wheel Podcast and at the LCA, wingedwheelpodcast.com slash redwings before they run out or go to the link in the description. And if you want to support us and go above and beyond, patreon.com slash wingedwheelpodcast. It allows us to do everything continue to improve this show, host Winged Wheel Podcast Nights, uh, host expanded content in the Winged Wheel Podcast universe like Expected by Whom, hosted by Prashanth Iyer and Sean Shapiro, as well as you know our support of the Jamie Daniels Foundation and so much more. If you want to support the show but don't want to do it on Patreon, give this podcast a rating wherever you're listening. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever it is, it really helps us out. Subscribe and tell a friend. It makes a big difference. We want to thank all of our listeners, new and old. If you're a new listener, welcome to the show. I promise you we don't always sound this sick. And if you are a listener who's been with us for a while, we can't say enough how much we appreciate you. To all of our Patreon supporters, you're the lifeblood of everything we do. Thank you so much. To our name-level supporters on Patreon, Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sir Grand Foundation, Akefer, Samuel Soderholm, Icon, Brad's Lord and Savior, Bradley Cleveland, Glenn Brabham, Croner's Left Knee, Everybody Loves Raymond, Sea Lion, Keenan O'Donohue, Yanni Burgers, Meals on Wheels, Matthew M. Rice, Admiral Matt S. of the Cheesebag Navy, Brian J. Bauer, Carl Brutana Nanaluski, Citizen High Five, Clip Clop Nene, Connor Scovey, Coyote Season Tickets and Anywhere But Tempe, 
Craig Kibble, Denny's Gamer Girl, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Exquisitine Buble Schwinslow, Give Blood Fight Probert, Hockey Town Love, Hockey Town Matt, Hassam Alkasem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joel Miranda, Kaylin Wood, King Tone, Marcus, Marlon Winchester, Matt K, Cannon Fodder, The Cheesebag Army, Matt McKay, Michael Edland, Never Go Full Kyle, R.A., Red 3, Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Scree and Lube, That's What I Appreciate's About You, Wallman's Elite Dancing D, What's That Smell, Iser Plan Stan, General Andy Bohan of The Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, Adam Rose, Axel's Sandy Pelica, Big Cheese, Brad Simmons, Brian Vasha, Captain Antonio Gracias of the United Federation of Cheesebags, Chuck Buffchest, the Tarpless Goon, Commander Ben Barron of the Cheesebag Space Force, Connor, Connor Leighton, Corey Preda, Darren Fick, D-Boss, Snip Show, Frank Stanley, Gene Sullivan, Griffey Boy, Henrik Robert Deeks, James Laporte, James Pridemore, James, Jeremiah Dobo, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans, Derogatory, John Ingalls, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Linda Hull, Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, Norris Sider, Ophelia, Reed, Stephen, The Hodag, The Hat123, Winging It in San Diego, X, formerly A.A. Ron, and your second favorite patron. Thank you all so very much. Let's play some hockey. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.